0: You're listening to the Product Podcast by Product School.
1: Well, well, thank you so much to everyone for being here. It's a real honor to be moderating today's panel. Um, I am just so blown away by the three women who are here joining us today. Um, they're also amazing product leaders, um, and that's actually uh, how I know them is uh, through the various different connections that we have in Silicon Valley, which is very, very fun. Um, so, today we're going to talk about some of the diverse experiences that product managers have and how product can be led through many different styles. Um, and also, talking a little bit about allyship for product managers from underrepresented backgrounds. So I'm going to also uh, do a little bit more of an extended uh, bio uh, for some of these people, but we're also going to talk a little bit about how you got into product in the first place. Um, but Gloria uh, currently is actually working on something new. Uh, we're very excited to see what that new thing is next. But uh, she was uh, the first product manager at Stripe, and also, uh, and Stripe is a technology company that builds economic infrastructure for the Internet. Um, Gloria also previously led product at Flipboard and at Apple's iPhone, iPod, New Tech Group. Uh, she also has a bachelor's and master's degree in electrical engineering at Stanford. Um, Yvonne um, heads up product at a company, um, and a company generates enterprise-grade data and insights on people and companies. Um, prior to a company, she was a director of acquisitions at RPX, an early-stage intellectual property startup, and she saw the company um, from employee number six through to IPO, which is pretty rad. Uh, She was also at Charles River Ventures, where she focused on early-stage software as a service, mobile, and robotics investments. And she holds degrees from Stanford in Management Science and Engineering, as well as Harvard Business School. And then Jackie is the head of product management at Asana, um, a company redefining how companies and teams work together productively. Uh, prior to being in Asana, uh, Jackie was actually my first mentor at Google, uh, and uh, where she worked on data APIs and search. And she's also uh, the author of "Cracking the PM uh, Interview." Uh, she's also worked at Microsoft and graduated from Cornell in computer science and economics. So, really awesome and impressive backgrounds. So, uh, with that, uh, I'd love to just kind of start the conversation and ask you all: How did you get
0: into product management? Uh, Yes, how did I get into product management? Um, So I think a lot of people talk about how they stumbled into product. Um, I was actually a lot more calculated about it. Uh, I actually was, um, so I worked at an early stage startup before at RPX where I was employee number six and absolutely loved my experience there. Like really loved the experience of being at an early stage company. And so I was actually looking for a way of like how can I leverage my skill set and make sure that I can contribute to early stage startups? What's the best role that allows me to leverage my background in that sense? And so um, I actually, from doing a lot of research at business school and in, um, while I was in venture capital, found that like, product was a great role that, one, kind of leveraged, leveraged my skill set, especially um, being kind of more an, a jack-of-all-trades person as opposed to like going really deep in design or engineering. Um, but also it was just a really integral role that, um, you know, sets the stage for a lot of things at a really early stage at a startup. And so um, that was how I, um, how I chose product and then kind of just went, went from there and looking for product roles.
2: I can go next. I took a pretty traditional path into product management. In college, I was trying to figure out what to do, and I had always loved the engineering side, where you try to figure out, take things apart, understand how systems are built. But at the same time, I was always really into kind of the business of technology, and kind of just grown up around it. And so, I found that product management was squarely at the intersection of the business part and the engineering part of
3: startups. So, it was pretty much a no-brainer for me to try that out. Hi. Um, so I took a pretty uh, traditional route into product management. I did uh, computer science and economics as an undergrad. And I'd always thought that I was going to have a career in a field, in um, some random field, but where I'd have the, the magic of computer science behind me, where I'll be the person who like, knew how to write a script that would make me more effective um, and be able to use that uh, technology to be better at my job. Um, and as an undergrad, I had, a, uh, I had a friend who said, Jackie, you have to be a PM. And I said, there's, there's no way, what, what's a PM? It's got the word manager, I'm a sophomore, I can't be a manager. And they're like, Jackie, just apply for the PM job, you've got to go do it. And I, I basically learned during the interview what the job was. Like from the questions they asked, I was like, oh, I guess that's what, what you need to do. You need to like calculate, you know, how many ping pong balls are okay. But, um, but, I, but I found that I really liked the questions, and I, I liked the people I worked with, so I went there. Got my first job at Microsoft, and... Um, and just loved it. And as soon as I, I was in the job, I, I felt like this was the job that i I'd, I'd been that was meant for me.
1: That's super awesome. I love how there's this spectrum between uh, being like traditional or calculating or just stumbling. Um, I think as far as myself, oh gosh, I think it was one of those kind of stumble kind of situations where I was at Google being a software engineer, and then uh, someone was like, "You should really try out this product management thing." And I was like, "What's that?" Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then I think I coerced a bunch of people to give me uh, PM things to do. And at the end of the summer, I was like, oh, no, they were right. <laughs> um, and so uh, product management is pretty different at every company. Um, and I was kind of wondering if each of you could kind of talk about what a PM does, especially because I think you run the gamut of having worked at big companies, small companies, uh, early stage, later stage. Um, so it would be just kind of great to get that perspective. Do you
2: want to start there? Sure. Yeah, so I have a couple of kind of mnemonics around this. The first is that product managers help you build better products. And so how do you more deeply satisfy the needs or problems, solve the problems of your customers? Um, and I find that the key here is just really, really deeply. You, you basically can't go too deep to understand the problem. Um, and then, of course, working with uh, designers and engineers. In my experience, it's been really helpful most often to work in a small group that's deeply collaborative and cross-discipline. I found that kind of a lot of the magic of... The best moments that I've had in my product management career have happened through those kinds of close collaborations that are interdisciplinary. And I think the second thing that product managers do really well is they help um, build products in a better way. And so that means kind of all of the stuff that needs to be done around the many, many things that need to happen in order to ship a great product. And uh, I'm a big believer that uh, constraints and around your creativity and kind of having some boundaries actually really force uh, innovation. And so I'm actually, I think that there are way, very lightweight ways to kind of structure process. So that's really
3: helpful for your kind of creative process. Um, so yeah, I've done product at Asana and at Google and at Microsoft, and it's definitely what PMs do is very different at those companies. Um, and it really depends on the shape of the company, what the company's trying to achieve, and who else is on the team. So at Microsoft, there was a lot of expectation that the PMs would define Every detail of how the product worked from the very, very beginning to the very end, and I spent a lot of my time writing those like 40-page specs and handing them over to the engineers, and they would uh, they would assign me spec bugs back. <laughs> they would say you not you haven't written out what the words should say in the error message in this particular case. <laughs> Um, so I went from there to Google, which is a very engineering-led company, um, and it was a world of difference. It, it really was the engineers had an idea of what they were trying to achieve and they were running with it, and I was, I was really trying to connect that back to customer problems, connect that back to, you know, if we solve this problem in this particular way, you know, using this new technology, how can we, um, how can we connect that to a user need? Um, and then moving from there to Asana, where we're really product-led, and the way we define it there is that PMs own the problems. So as a PM, you're responsible for figuring out what are the problems that we should be going after, which ones are the most important ones to solve, and how will we know if we've solved it. And then you work really closely with designers and engineers who are responsible for those solutions, and you're able to work with them to see are, we meeting the, are, are the solutions meeting our needs of the problems.
0: Um, I would echo both of those. Um, I think, from my perspective, product is a lot about being whatever your team needs you to be. Uh, and I think at an, at an early stage startup, so for example, uh, we have a very lean team and every each individual on the team owns massive parts of the product, the system, our customer relationships. Um, so uh, from my perspective, uh, the most important things are to make sure that they're armed with everything that they need to run quickly and can make decisions um, mostly autonomously. So what I spend a lot of doing is making sure that we have a really clear and compelling vision um, so that they can make those decisions. Uh, and then I, I spend a lot of time making sure that we're communicating the product strategy and talking about it as a team. Um, one, because it's motivating and two, so then then we know kind of this is where we're going and what's our progress towards those goals. And um, I think the, the third thing, uh, maybe this is mostly specific to an early stage startup is you know, and and everything else, which is you know, which is like you know, part C O O, part engineering manager, part customer success manager, you know, part data science, whatever needs to be done.
1: Awesome, great, thank you so much, everyone. Um, so, I want to transition a little bit and kind of talk about the, the diverse perspectives, right? Um, and I think each of you have your own set of experiences that make you a really great person to offer a diverse perspective <clears throat> to, to the audience here today. And so I was kind of wondering if you could kind of uh, help the uh, orient the audience and letting them know how you self-identify as a a product manager, Um, and then also uh, what challenges you've seen over the course of your career uh, for PMs from underrepresented backgrounds.
3: Um, I I identify as female, (laughs) and um, I uh, so thinking about like uh, challenges I see with diverse perspective uh, people from. Um, diverse backgrounds. The one that, that really I see the most is that there's, there's all kinds of different personality styles, there's all kinds of different traits that people have, but one of the things that's most important as PMs is our credibility is that we walk into a room and we have to lead without influence. We need to convince a whole team of people to follow what we, we think is the right thing. And we can do that through data um, and we can do that through facts and user research. But but some of the time, and one of the ways that you make this go faster and more effective and more efficient as a PM is that you've earned credibility with people. They start to trust you and they start to, they start to believe what you're saying as you go forward. And that's one of the places where I see coming from an underrepresented background can um, be more of a struggle is that sometimes when you, when you walk into into the room and you're not a straight white man, people don't immediately look at you and say, that's, that's someone who really knows what they're doing. Like That's somebody who I'm sure like, has her stuff together. She, I'm gonna trust her right away. And so I think that um, when you come from an underrepresented background, it can take, it can take a few more uh, days or weeks or months of proving yourself, a few more times of, of showing people that you're right about the opinions and the decisions you've made before you start to get that, um, before you start to earn that credibility.
0: Sure. Um, I think it, what's interesting because um, one of the questions we had talked about doing on this panel was like, what, what's it like to be a woman and product management? And uh, I honestly thought, like, I, I I've never even thought about it. Um, like, is, is it different? <laughs> Um, which, which I think is a testament to like, the companies and the leaders that I've worked with. It's like, that, that should be the answer, right? It's like when you're coming from an underrepresented background, like it, it shouldn't really be a question. Um, and so I think, especially in um, the tech community these days, I think there's a lot of appropriate focus on diversity and inclusion, which is great. Um, but but there are um, certainly some things that are, that are challenges for underrepresented back, backgrounds um, that aren't for other people. And one, one thing that came to mind, um, was, you know, I was thinking when I first got into, um, not even product management, just, but just my career. Uh, thinking about like, you know, when I say things, people, people don't always listen. And, you know, I'm, I don't think I'm asking questions in the right way, and maybe I'm not delivering things forcefully enough, et cetera. Um, and, I, and I think in many ways that, that that's true. I think as we progress in our careers, we start learning how to speak more assertively. And, um, you know, speak in a way that people really listen and that, that gains credibility, for example. Um, but I, I was um, reading a Harvard Business Review article that I think is worth mentioning and um, it was about uh, an analysis of Supreme Court justices transcripts and they were they were basically they, the finding was that the men actually interrupted the women three times more than they interrupted each other and, and I know that this that this isn't a new stat that you know women get interrupted more um, but the takeaway that I got from it is that these are Supreme Court justices. Like I, I can't. I would be terrified to interrupt Sandra Day O'Connor. Um, so, uh, to me, the takeaway was, you know, it's it's not it's not just about the delivery, and it's not just about status. It's, there. There actually is more going on here, um, and so I think the you know the goal is to just make everyone more aware of that. You know, and, and I think underrepresented can mean a lot of different things. It's not necessarily men or women or minority or not. Uh, I definitely hear you know, from, from good friends. For, for example, um, a friend at a private equity firm was saying that he, uh, he can't talk about sports. He's not interested in sports. And a lot of the, the community's um, conversations are about sports, and so he feels left out in that way and, can't, and feels like he can't bond as well with his coworkers. So I think, um, I think, one, we should just kind of broaden what we think about what underrepresented is and, um, and just be more aware of the challenges from that context. Yeah, so I uh, also identify as female, but actually,
2: one I similar to Yvonne, I actually haven't. Uh, I can't consciously remember that many times during my career. And I was like, oh, it was like, what? How is it different for me as a woman in product management? I'm just sort of a product manager uh, with all the fun challenges and opportunities that come along with that. But I was thinking, reflecting on this question, and I think the thing I actually struggled on with uh, was uh, more consciously, perhaps, was just looking really young. I don't know if anybody else identifies with this, but I look about 10 years younger than I actually am. I get this pretty consistently from people. And um, it, that's kind of an interesting position to be in. Um, I have kind of hacked my way around it by learning how to speak with authority and knowing my subject matter really, really well and learning how to communicate effectively in small and large groups. Um, but it was something that I kind of had to work around consciously, um, I actually also got like a communications coach and had friends, you know, videotape me speaking. And then I'd rewatch the videotapes. And they were the worst things to watch ever. You just like don't want to hear yourself. You don't want to see yourself on video, but you kind of figure out some ways to kind of compensate for the ways that you might or might not be perceived in the world. It's kind of one way of dealt with it.
1: That really resonates with me, and it's, it's this kind of fun connective tissue between some of the different panelists because um, I also struggle with uh, looking younger, um, I think, than I, I actually am. And uh, Yvonne's, uh, the, the founder of a company, uh, she was my manager like a long time ago, and I remember I was, I think I was like 24, 25, and was going out meeting with a bunch of people on uh, who were like the CMO, CTOs of various different companies uh, as a representative of Google Analytics, and she was like. Laura, I'm sorry, you just look way too young. You're dressing way too young you need to be looking like late 20s, <laughs> not not <laughs> early 20s uh, in the way that you're dressing. And so there, I think there's, there's a bit of performance um, that happens uh, when you kind of come from an re- underrepresented background where it is about gaining credibility um, and what are the different levers. And it's kind of unfortunate that we have to play that game sometimes, um, but I think that there's an opportunity for uh, people who, who do have um, more uh, privilege or authority or, um, credibility to guide people um, and tell them what they need to be doing in order to get that credibility. So I, she told me to go out to, with my sister-in-law and get um, a fresh set of clothes from J.Crew. Um, and then I was going to be ready to meet with the C- CMOs and tell them what they were doing wrong. Uh, <laughs> so, um, so I guess with that in mind, um, would also love to ask this panel's advice uh, for allyship. So how could you, what advice do you have uh, to help people um, from underrepresented backgrounds um, and and support them um, as they progress through their career
2: there's so many things that you can do um, but the good news is that a lot of these tactics are um, basically effective because they're making the uh, standards more objective by which people get promoted or which they get hired and so there's a whole list of things that people can do. Um, probably you've heard of many of them before. You can use Textio to, to run an analysis on your job descriptions and make sure that you're trying to remove as much implicit bias as possible in, in the actual job description and causing people to actually of all uh, backgrounds to apply. Um, you can black out the names of people who are applying to your company and actually um, try to do that as a software feature, so that when you're reviewing the resume, you're not necessi- you're trying to be less influenced by kind of potential. Uh, factors in their background that are irrelevant to their work. Um, You can kind of promote things like, I've seen things as simple as like little cards on meeting tables where it's like big conference room and it's kind of like remind your moderators of meetings that you know, it doesn't have to be dominated by a few people. You should you know actively draw out dis- uh, diverse perspectives from different meeting participants, particularly the quieter ones. And so it just kind of goes on and on and on, but um, I think the good news is that it just kind of helps everyone when um, you're able to be a bit more objective in the way that you
3: hire, fire, promote, et cetera. Um, yeah, I think that's great. Um, in terms of, uh, I mentioned diversity. Yeah, like you were saying, Yvonne, there's so many different types of diversity, and I think when you learn about different personality types, I've I've had this experience repeatedly where I, I learned about a new personality type, and I said I didn't I didn't realize people were like that. So. <laughs> Um, so I remember I, I learned about introverts, introverts versus extroverts. And they, they did this training and they say extroverts like to think think while they're talking. And that's me. Um, and then introverts like to like to think things through quietly before they say anything. And they mentioned, so you might have somebody in the meeting who isn't speaking up and it, they still have something to say. They just, you know, we're thinking through it quietly. And I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I had, I had no idea. I assumed the people in the conference rooms who were quiet just were quiet because they had nothing to add. And so I started, you know, exactly what you said, going around the room and asking each person, you know, do you have anything? Let's go around the room. And I was like, oh, all the quiet people have a lot of really good stuff to add. Um, <laughs> there was a, another personality test I took that, that talked about um, how people are oriented and that, like, um, some people are very, like, external achievement oriented, and um, some people are very... Uh, that, if everybody in a room is agreeing, it makes them worried that you, like, haven't, you haven't figured out the tricky thing, the thing that's gonna bite you, so they like to stir up trouble. There'll be always the person in the room who like, surfaces the problem because they're worried if you're not talking about the problem, you're missing something important that's gonna, that's gonna come get you later. And I was like, oh, they're not just trying to like, mess up my meeting, they're trying to be helpful. <laughs> and so there's all of these different things that you learn about these different personality types, and, and you can realize that there's a, lot, there's a lot more value that people are bringing and the people that are different than you might have a different way about, of, of going about it and, and bringing their perspective. Um, and at first you might think that's like the wrong way to bring your perspective. But once you can just accept that there are different ways of doing this, you have a chance to to get the value from lots of different people. Yes.
0: Com- completely agree. Um, I, think, uh, like, I think both Gloria and, um, I'm sorry Jackie, Jackie. have <laughs> already touched on all these points. But um, I the things I would add or of key activities at the company are important to make inclusive so if you're if you're having a meeting where you're making important decisions all of the people that need to be in that meeting you need to meet it needs to be at a time for example that all of the people can attend Um, there's a lot of other ways than just scheduling to be inclusive um, but I, but I think that's one important thing, and I think it doesn't just come down to meetings where important decisions are being are being made. I think it's also even social activities, um, where people are bonding and getting to know each other, and maybe um, that's where you get to meet the manager who might you know be in charge of giving you your next you know your next project. Um, those those things all are really important. Uh, the other two things that come to mind is one, um, you know, just being aware of the unconscious biases that we all have. Those are just, you know, they're things that have been researched and documented and reported. And um, I find myself doing it too. Um, where um, I, there was a meeting the other day where I, um, I noticed that I was interrupting one of our female designers. Uh, and um, not the male engineers in the room. And that, that's terrible, and I think awareness is where it starts so that we can start correcting that behavior. Um, and I think the, the last thing is just creating, a, creating an environment where people feel comfortable talking about these things and telling you what's wrong. Um, because I I find that I often don't even realize, what, you know, what I don't know. And so, um, and I think the way you do that is just being, like, one, making it clear to people that you care, and two, um, just really listening and, and making a change, and making sure that that change is vis- visible.
1: Awesome. I just, I'm glad this is getting recorded, because you guys all had amazing uh, pieces of advice. I think one of the interesting things about product management is that, that you know do whatever it takes, and it's a bunch of these small little things that you do every day that make people feel more included, make people feel like their voices are heard, and I think the products that we build are better because we, we make that investment. Um, so thank you. <laughs> um, I'll have to go and rewatch <laughs> and write down notes. Um, so uh, I think we're getting close to the end of the uh, time slot, and so I just wanted to um, end with one last question which is um, mostly for for y'all here, because I think most of you are kind of in the the new to product management space, Um, and so just wanted to ask you if you could share one tip to your former self when you were getting started in product management. Uh, What advice would you have given yourself?
0: Um, I think I would have told myself, and I'm sure this is all very specific and individual, but for me it would have been helpful to hear that um, it's not just about being smart. Um, like the, the way that now I've realized that I should be measuring my progress um, as, a, as a PM is the team's collective success and not, um, you know, not my individual goals and, and not even the product's success to some extent. Like I think that's really important too, of course. Um, but also, like was the team happy in getting there? Did they grow in getting there? All of those things um, uh, you know, allow you to make a more, a more solid team and a more solid product. Um, and I think the second reason that advice would have been helpful is that when I started, I felt like, you know, you're working around all these incredibly talented people, like, you know, experts in their discipline. And um, I I thought that I needed to have all the answers, you know, that I that I should have, you know, spec everything perfectly and, like, it should never have had, had to go back and forth. And that's simply not true. You have all of these resources at your disposal and these amazingly talented people that you can just ask and you can collaborate on so and collaborate on something with them. So... Um, that's what I would have told myself.
3: Um, I think building on that, um, one of the, the concepts that that's become that I've learned about m- more recently um, is rapid prototyping and rapid iteration. And so, um, related to the idea that you don't need to have an- all the answers at, at the beginning is as an early PM, you spend a little too long iterating with yourself and getting stuff perfect, and so much of the time, throwing your first ideas out on paper, saying here's a rough straw man, what do you think? Can save you days, weeks, it can save you a huge amount of time from going totally down the wrong path. And if you if you frame it the right way, if you say, hey, I, I only spent a few minutes on this, here's, here's my early draft, people react much better to that. If you say, hey, I've worked on this for two weeks, what do you think? People are a little bit of Afraid to give you real, honest feedback. Uh-
2: <laughs> yeah, I would definitely echo um, Yvonne's answer, especially around the perfectionism. I think every time I've you know had a job, I have wanted to do, do such a good job and do right by my users and do right by my team and work super hard that um, I didn't allow myself a lot of uh, leeway or freedom to not always do perfect work all the time. Of course, I didn't. And I would just feel bad and feel guilty. And it's okay to not produce perfect work all the time. Like, it's really okay. You kind of have to keep the, as a product manager, there's so many things going on. You have to keep the big picture. And like, you know, like the one most single most important question you're supposed to be working on in your job, are you doing, are you making good progress on that? I think that's kind of the most important thing. So don't, I would tell my younger self not to get too caught up in like doing all the little, little details perfectly. Though it is still good to really care about you know good design details and quality and performance and all that, but um, yeah, I think that perfectionism really got to me, so yeah.
1: Awesome, well thank you so much for bestowing your wisdom upon this group. Um, I hope you all enjoyed uh, hearing the different perspectives that uh, these amazing product leads uh, have to offer, and uh, thank you so much.